Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Meckie Lozano. We are so excited because today we are starting our four-part series on a book study of The Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey. So we have four episodes that will cover the first four chapters of this beautiful book. There is no need for you to sign up for anything, nothing to fill out. You can participate however you like. We are going to be using the 2013 version of The Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey. It's the one that has a brownish, orangish, beautiful cover of the Good Shepherd just holding a child in his arms. If you do not have that edition or you do not have the book yet, there will be a link in our show notes to where you can purchase the book. So you can read the chapter before or after you listen to the episode. We also have discussion questions on our website so that you can download them and discuss them with a group, or you can join us on Facebook because we're also going to be having a discussion online. You can journal about the questions so that you can ponder them deeply just with yourself. If you want to know more information about our Facebook page, that is also in our show notes. We're really looking forward to diving into this book with you. This is a really great book for someone who is new to Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and it's also a great refresher for those CGS veterans that we have among us. For chapter one, we have the amazing Marty O'Brien joining me on the show today to help us ponder this beautiful chapter, The Good Shepherd and the Child, together. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Welcome, Marty, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, Marty, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd? Well, how I became involved in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd was really providential. Um, I don't need to go into that long story, but I think that's a common story of all of us. Mm -hmm. um, I have been uh, in formation, I began my formation in 1983, uh, meeting Sophia. We were with her for a very short time during a course that was held in Washington, D.C. But the following summers, 84 and 85, my husband and I and another person, a Montessorian, obtained our levels one and two formations. Mm -hmm. And then later on in Washington, D.C., level three. And therefore, I've been a catechist since the spring of 85. Wow. And I don't even want to do the math. <laughs> um, I guess I began uh, with ridiculously, but began as a formation leader. I didn't even want to call myself that about 1991 or two. Mm -hmm. And then slowly became more experienced at that. That's really neat that your husband did the formation with you. Oh, he was a huge part of catechesis of the Good Shepherd coming to the Southwest. <laughs> That's really neat. Well, um, Marty and I are going to be diving into this first chapter of the Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey. I really enjoy this book because of its simplicity. I I really enjoy how easy it is to read. It's one of those books that somebody who has knows nothing about catechesis of the Good Shepherd, this is like where to start is this book. I agree. I also really enjoy how there's so much space in the margins. I like to write little notes and everything, and this book gives you a lot of space in order to write. Mm -hmm. The format is very reader-friendly. 
choosing yes. wider margins, a lot of spaces, illustrations. Yes, it's very reader friendly. And that's, I think, what many people respond to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the book to hand to a parent who's like, okay, what is it that you want me to sign my child up for? <laughs> or what what is this program that they've been doing? This is the book. Hand mm -hmm. to them. Well, tell me, in this first chapter, God and the child together, what really stood out to you, Marty? I have so much to, that I loved, but you tell me first, what was your favorite? Oh, my goodness. Well, there are two spots. The first that just engaged me very much was, um, it's early in this first chapter, Sophia says, if we don't know what the child really needs, then there's a risk that what we say and do with the child won't be received by the child. And of course, this is just setting the whole scene for the rest of the book and how they, she and John Nagobi and the collaborators discovered this. But she goes on to say, and this is what really struck me, there is no meeting between the spoken words and the listening ears. That is, if we don't know what the child needs. Mm -hmm. And it all depends on our way of presenting God. And I was struck by that in that well, what came to mind was a scene in a very famous film called the, um, oh, I can't remember. It's about Helen Keller and her wonderful teacher, Annie Sullivan, mm -hmm. who who had been giving Helen all the signs, fingerspelling for everything she had Helen touch. But Annie could tell that there was just not this, in Sophia's word, this meeting between the signing and her understanding this is, this is what we're going to use to mean this. And the door opens for Helen the day that Annie Sullivan takes her to the water pump. Mm -hmm. And as the water is flowing into Helen's hand, and Annie is signing in her hand, little Helen goes back years, maybe eight years. I, I don't know how old she was at this moment, but what triggers this coming together of meaning is her memory as a little infant saying wah, wah for the word water. Mm -hmm. And what made me think of that is what we are doing in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is allowing the child to come into contact with God. And, and we're going to talk about this more, I'm sure, in this chapter, how that experience completely invades the child's whole person, mm -hmm. physically as well. And it sets the stage for their whole personality development. If they're three or four, well, a lot of personality development has already <laughs> been occurring. But it's going to be that touch point for the child, for the adolescent, for the adult later on in their life. If they seem to stray, like we often do, the little sheep that strays. Mm -hmm. um, and by knowing what the child needs, finding the way to best offer that to the child so it's truly nourishing, what we're offering is nourishing, is that moment. And for that, I just love that little, those two sentences that Sophia writes. I, I was really struck by this part as well. It's under the section journey with the child because Sophia talks about how we need to know the needs of the child. We need yes. to know what those vital needs are. And she compares it to us as adults. We talk about God's love as he is the bridegroom, but that, that meets the need of the adult. So 
we need to know the needs of the child in order to be able to speak to the child in that way. And she lifts up the needs of protection and relationship as those needs. And I think that is so beautiful because it just points right to the Good Shepherd parable. It, it feeds that need so beautifully. It shows the like the image of the good shepherd, even on the front of this book, where you have the shepherd who's just holding the child and he's so comfortable and so relaxed there in the, in the arms of the good <laughs> shepherd. Like that's exactly where he belongs. Just that, that is one of those vital needs that the, the child of under six has is that need to feel protected. And that beautiful parable of the good shepherd, it, it meets that vital need. I think this feeling of protection may come most strongly or more strongly through the need for relationship and knowing that this child, this person is loved and has someone to love. Mm -hmm. And that when you have that bond, everything else follows. Mm -hmm. And what develops is a great friendship. And Sophia writes, she doesn't have the words in this, but we've read it in her first great revelation to us, um, the religious potential of the child. She says, mm -hmm. I believe that no child has ever been loved to his or her potential, to his, to his or her satisfaction until encountering the love of God. Yes. And um, it's this relationship, which is seminal for all human development. We know if there is a, a paucity of good relationship, this will develop later as uh, some personality difficulties. So relationship is simply a natural thing that is needed by the young, young child. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense because their relationship with us can't be that. We can't possibly meet that deepest vital need because we're human and we're flawed and we're wounded. And as much as we love and adore our children, we can't possibly give him the capacity of love that they mm -hmm. are capable of absorbing. And I love yes. that. I think it's on page 12 that she talks about it a little bit. She says, um, I think it is possible to say that God is the necessary partner the child needs for the fullest possible self-formation. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's within that relationship that the mm -hmm. child is able to find the deepest capacity of love that they mm -hmm. need in order to find that complete harmony and complete joy and complete uh, growth of self that they need, especially at that age. I agree. There's a, a heartbreaking fact in child development, again, regarding this need for relationship, to have someone to love, and maybe to have someone who loves them back. Mm -hmm. And that is the situation in an abusive relationship with a child. No matter what happens, I mean, often, maybe always, the child continues to offer love to this person. And it is just, and Sophia uses the word in her book called exigence, but the other term is better, vital. Vital, it comes from life, the word vita. And mm -hmm. um, the it is necessary for life. And so this search is so strong that, she categorizes it simply as simply as the uh, equal to the need for food. It is that important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and like as you said, the parable of the good shepherd touches that deep, deep need. And children around the world responded in the very same way.
I've read stories of children in orphanages, like babies and orphanages in third world countries and such, who they have their basic needs of food and water met, but they do not thrive because they do not have the love that they need in order to be able to grow. And so it is, it is that deep vital Mm -hmm. need of relationship that we see in those, in those situations that's lacking. Mm -hmm. The second part of this chapter that I think many of us love is uh, the very last section. I think we're going to be speaking about that a little bit later, but it's a servant of the covenant relationship. Mm -hmm. And of course that's the call to the catechist. I, I love that part too. I have a bunch of that part starred and everything because it's so beautiful how she is just kind of calling us to action and that um, mm-hmm. because throughout this whole chapter, she's answering the questions that we all get of well, why do we serve such a young child and should we really be doing this and do, does this meet any vital need within the child, et cetera, et cetera. And she's saying, yes, we have to, we, we have to speak the love to the children. Mm-hmm. Um, We cannot fall in love. She says, we cannot fall in love in the place of another person, but we can help that person meet someone with whom to fall in love. I thought that was so, so perfectly beautiful. Her entire work, of course, she and John Nagobi, collaborators, it had to begin with this first question. Does the child have the capacity to live in a relationship with God? Hmm. Or is this just something that adults think, oh, yeah, this is necessary? So she gives only one example of their method of research. And it's of the little girl who asked her father how the earth was made. Mm -hmm. And um, it's recounted here. He gives her a very lovely, I'm sure, lovely scientific Mm -hmm. description and explanation. And then he goes on at the end. He says, um, well... And there are some who claim that it is a person named God. And that's when the little girl just jumps up and down with joy and says, you know, we've, we've heard it so many times. Uh, it's him. I knew what you were telling me was wrong. It is him. It is him. And this was an atheistic family. Mm-hmm. She had not been taught God. Uh, it was relayed to Sophia by the little girl's grandmother, who was also an atheist. But this and many other accounts of how children have this pre-knowledge. We think pre-knowledge is just they've always had it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we call it pre before we come into the picture. And so this was the beginning of her their search that this is what caused the search to continue because they were already seeing children do have this congenital <laughs> knowledge of God. They know there's something there. And so all we're doing is placing them in touch with how it's described, whose name it is, and that's what brings them joy. I love that the joy that that child shows in that Mm -hmm. story. It is is so beautiful. And I love the way that Sophia and Gianna, they showed that that is universal all over the world. They found stories like that all over the world of children Mm -hmm. and how they how they respond to an encounter with God and how their response is pretty similar throughout yes. cultures. It's it's really beautiful how all the children have the same reaction of joy and peace and harmony that they find within themselves whenever they have that encounter. It's really beautiful. It's very true. In this first chapter, God and the Child Together, Sophia writes, there are two ways that they 
through which they searched for the answer to, does the child have a capacity to be in relationship? So there is that one of anecdotes from adults about Mm -hmm. children and also adults who recounted to Sophia their childhood experience. But the other was their great, great, these are the scientists of these women, they observed Mm. children coming into contact with the message and maybe a material to make it be a concrete thing to work with to recall what the message had been biblically or liturgically. And when they saw children entering a very serene enjoyment and then the child's desire to prolong being with that material or Mm -hmm. whatever it was, that was their second great sign. Yes, there is something that brings joy and it is contact with the religious message or, as we say, contact with God. So these two things really were their, the food that kept them going and then asking the, the later question, well, then what are those themes? What are mm-hmm. the, the magnets that draw children into this relationship with God? It's really beautiful the way that they went about doing all of this in such a scientific way as observers (laughs) and letting the child show them how to show them God. It was, it's really humble and beautiful the way that they let the child lead them through that. Yes. I really love in this chapter, how Sophia answers the question, why do we serve? Why do we begin so early? Because I have gotten that question many, many times. Um, Why is it necessary for me to bring my three-year-old or start my three-year-old so early, why don't I wait until they're in kindergarten or first grade? And she does a really beautiful job of answering that and how she talks about how so much growth happens in a child within three years. And we're started, we're talking about starting catechesis at three years, unless we have a, <laughs> we're blessed to have an infant-toddler atrium in our, in our church. But um, how all of this growth happens so young, so young, so... Um, why would our spiritual growth be any different? Like it is such a vital part of who we are as people. And in addition to simply of who we are, she points out the young child, childhood is about 12 years long, we'll say, okay. The young child is a very different creature mm-hmm. than the child would say of middle childhood, the six and seven and eight year old. Mm-hmm. Once the human being moves into this next plane of middle childhood, their horizons open and they want to learn about everything. Give me astronomy and zoology and botany and math and give it all to me. And so their interests are varied. But when we take a look at this beautiful human creature in the earliest stages of childhood, they really have a very simple essential concern, which is relationship. What parent, would not hug their child thinking, well, you know, we'll just wait till later. Mm. What, what parent wouldn't say, we won't speak to this child. We'll allow this child to choose the language he or she wants to speak at a later age. We all know that would horrifically stunt their development. And if it's relationship that is the core of their desire, then what other relationship could we ever want to help them develop? than the relationship with God. And that is a difficult concept for parents to accept, mainly because for centuries, schooling, even religious education, didn't begin till about the age of reason, which is way after everything would have been formed, the Mm -hmm. age of seven or so. And I think 
all the messages of the catechesis of the Good Shepherd, it is that one that you just mentioned. It is before the age of six that is the most precious in the term of the most valuable time in human life where we have no other great concerns. Our lives are very simple. We have no concerns of this behavior, that behavior, what is sin, you know, what are the moral mm -hmm. dictates. Mm -hmm. It's just, they are so happy to be in a relationship and it's, it's never going to be as easy mm -hmm. for a child to enter this loving relationship. And that is the reason, and that's what we have to hope to, people will begin to understand. It's so beautiful the way the six and under child is able to enter into that relationship completely with their whole being. Like they, they just have this totality of being in love with God with, yes. with no partiality or no questions, no morality. They're not worried about the the facts in their head. It's just all heart from six and under. And what a beautiful basis, what a beautiful foundation that is for your relationship to God to start in just pure love, pure relationship in that way. It's true. When we think of the word love, we think of the heart you know, and feelings and emotions. But what you just said that Sophia has told us, the child experiences God and the religious message with her whole being. Mm -hmm. She's referring to physically as well. And she has a lovely story. She shares it in this first chapter about this little girl who, you know, the whole situation isn't described here, but they were um, praying in Thanksgiving after having received the, the presentation on baptism. And it's a long, long series of children offering Thanksgiving for this and that. And this little girl comes in at the very end and she says, my body is happy. <laughs> and she is feeling exactly, she is experiencing what we mean by the child experiencing anything mm -hmm. but the love of God globally or with her whole being. Mm -hmm. And again, this is it's like giving a person food. Would you ever not give a child food? We'll see what they like later on in life. Of course mm -hmm. not. And when we realize that this is what's happening for children, it will spur us to action and to nourish the child with what he and she is asking for. And there's such great examples for us in this as well, because I think us as adults, especially, we can get so caught up in facts and our mind and morality and all of those things. And the children are, are such little prophets to us in teaching us about how to be essential with God and how to be just totally in love with God. Like they, mm -hmm. it's like what Jesus said of um, let the children guide us to heaven and maybe it, us needing to take a listening stance to the child and have them show us how to be just totally in love with God. Exactly. I had mentioned that that last section the call to the catechist, to mm -hmm. the adult, the call to the adult to serve this great potential in this relationship, a servant of the covenant relationship. And of course, that word is throughout our work. We hear of this relationship biblically. We hear it in um, the book of Deuteronomy, where God now is entering into this relationship with the people of Israel. I mean, they're not, they're not in the spot yet. <laughs> they're not over on the land. But we hear these two things, you know, a covenant is between two persons or two parties. And so we first hear, um, you know, know that the Lord is God, the Lord alone. 
God is saying, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And then following that is, and your response, you know, you will love the Lord your God with what, you know, your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your entire strength. And we say that means with one's entire being. That is the human being under the age of six. They respond with their entire being, and therefore they enter the covenant relationship so easily, like you said, without any other concerns. And again, it's just more evidence for us to act and to serve the child at this youngest of ages. You know, it makes me think about how right now in this unique time that we're living in, where the rise of the domestic church, where so many people are not be able to come together for mass or for um, atrium time. So we could gather together as families at home. It, this makes me think about how it's our job, like you said, as the servant of that covenant relationship to help the child to fall in love by creating those spaces, creating mm-hmm. silence for them, but then also allow the child to help us fall in love. So take a listening stance in front of the children that are in our home, the children that are around us to help, to allow them to help us fall in love with Jesus as well. Yes. Oh, I'm so happy you mentioned uh, the the church in the home. You know, I forget the term. I just forgot it all of a sudden I became a phasing. The domestic uh, church. The domestic church. Um, for children in the home to see their mother and father mm. come together in silence in in adoration of the unseen God, it's going to touch them. They're going to recognize what's happening. And if if what is lived in the home, recognition of God's love for us and protection and th- that we can be in communication with God, then what we're doing in the atrium, it's simply a, a resonation of what is already happening in the mm-hmm. home. And that is so important yes. in Sophia's book, Religious Potential of the Child. She has a, a, a section on how important it is that this be the case. Otherwise, what we do in the atrium is not is doesn't resonate anywhere else. And the term she uses is we're raising then hothouse plants <laughs> that once they leave that sweet and atrium environment to the harsher climate outside, if they don't have the environment of the home, the home church, you know, the domestic, the household church where it's resonated, we risk it not being as well lived for the child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be done in in very small, practical ways. I think sometimes we're very intimidated by, well, how do I do it right? Or what questions do I need to ask? Or what responses should the child have? I think sometimes we get caught up in that. And again, let's take that listening stance of the child and what is most essential. And that's like maybe just the word of God. So just sitting and having, just listening to the Good Shepherd parable, for example, and allowing myself as the adult alongside my children to mm-hmm. listen and not just read. I, I think just simply having those kind of essential moments is all that's necessary. I don't think we need things that are any more complicated than that. Exactly. For a little one to hear, he calls his sheep by name. And then he says, Of course, they're listening to the words in the Bible, so it's all first person. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Mm -hmm. These are all about relationship. And 
if that is the most important thing for the child or the human person at this age, before the age of six, they're going to hear it in the depth of their heart and it'll begin mm -hmm. to form them. Mm -hmm. I am known. I have someone who loves me and I have someone to love. Mm -hmm. And for us as adults too. Yes. Yes. And like any relationship, we need to celebrate it. We need to live into it. We need to um, make it into concrete being by celebrating it. And yes. Sophia talks a lot. I always say it in the present tense, but um, she would speak of just daily life, being in relationship with anyone. You have to make an, the awareness of being in relationship and celebrate it, even in little ways good morning, noticing someone's there, a hug, a kiss, celebrating their birth, and how these bring us to realization of the other person in our life and other people. And then the, the same, she says, about our relationship with God. It also needs to be celebrated in concrete ways, through prayer, through song, in the atrium, through the work of their hands, being able to touch the little figures and sing about it or talk about it in prayer. But of course, the epitome of that is the Eucharist itself and um, encountering him in the Eucharist. Well, there's just so many beautiful things in this chapter. I I really enjoyed pondering it in preparation for this, this talk with you because it allows me when I read this specific chapter to dive into the depth that the child offers us and the depth mm -hmm. that the child is capable of and mm -hmm. to for me to grow in respect for that. And I'm just mm -hmm. so appreciative for Sophia and her listening stance and her wisdom and seeing God when she saw the child. Oh, yes. She even speaks of that. The child is the reflection of God. Of course, we all are, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's so transparent. That's the term she uses. Yes, it's so yeah. transparent in the child. The whole rest of this book is the result of our knowing that we have to make concrete this relationship. And if we go to the Good Shepherd where the child falls in love, he or she falls in love with everything about him and anything mm -hmm. about him. And so we're going to hear, oh, let's hear about where he's from. They're going to fall in love with the land of Israel materials because that's where he's from. Mm. And they're going to fall in love with hearing about his infancy and childhood. They're going to fall in love with the way he describes the kingdom of heaven because it's his kingdom and mm. we get to be in it too. Um, they're going to fall in love with how we encounter him at mass. They fall in love with how we encounter him in the sacrament of baptism, in the Eucharist. So the whole set of light that we give to them, that we present them with, is all based on their love of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Mm -hmm. If it's about him, I'm in love with it. And that really is, is what has formed this beautiful set of presentations. We call them light. How? What, you want some more light today? Okay, we're going to look at, listen to some more light. <laughs> yeah, this chapter does a beautiful job of the why. The why why yes. do we do what we do? Mm -hmm. and it's yeah, it's, a, it's a gorgeous chapter. Yes, for that foundation of love for the child. And then the rest of the book is 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 more of the how. How do we do this? Mm -hmm. So it's really beautiful. Well, Marty, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us before we finish up today? Oh, no, except that 
uh, one of the first things you said was it's difficult for parents to believe that it is import it's important to begin at the age of three. And they're the closest to the children. Think of the whole church as our big church, how much more difficult it would be for church to recognize this need. And that's our call as adults and catechists. We have to help the church see and believe the truth of what we have been saying. Mm-hmm. That the child, this very young child has this tremendous capacity mm-hmm. and will show us the way. Mm-hmm. The child says, look at this. This is important. It's what they stopped on, stopped at and looked at that they were showing us. This is really important. Right. Yeah. The parable of the good shepherd is considered by scholars as the Christological parable. It describes him completely. So that's our call as adults. We're being sent out mm-hmm. <laughs> to help the church see and believe that this is true about the child and then right. to act on it, not just believe it, but then to act on it. To recognize that the child isn't just the future, he is here. The child is a part of the church now. It's not the future of the church. He is right now. Yes. Right now. Well, thank you so much, Marty. I appreciate your many years of service in the kingdom with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and I also appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. Oh, Carrie, it was a pleasure visiting with you. Thank you very much. God bless and God be with you. God bless you. Thank you. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Isn't Marty amazing? She's just so fun and bubbly and she's so wise. In two weeks, we will be discussing chapter two of the Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey. If you don't already have a copy of this book, there's a link in our show notes. So check that out. Don't forget to check out our discussion questions that we have on our website and go to the Facebook page and join in on the online discussion there. We can't wait to see you there. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So we want to thank all the contributing members to the association because you are making this podcast possible. If you want to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd or to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.